everything revolves around you because what self-pity does is self-pity takes your eyes off of God and off of the people around you and puts your eyes on you. When you are in the puddle of self-pity, you will not see anybody else's needs. You will not notice anybody else's pain. So how can we face the giant of self-pity and win? Well, that's where we're headed next on Moody Presents with Dr. Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute and founding pastor of New Life Community Church. How you doing? I'm John Geiger, and just like you, I sometimes find myself in what Mark calls the Valley of Disappointment. Yeah, can you relate to that? Well, Joseph certainly could. His life was a strange sequence of good moments and bad moments followed by good moments and more bad moments. He certainly knew what it was to walk in the valley of disappointment. Well, today, Pastor Mark gives us a strategy for walking through that valley. Here he is with Moody Presents. So I want you to take your Bibles this morning and open up to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. You know, when I was growing up, I always liked the movies that had the good news and then the bad news movie. Uh, You know, something good happens and something bad happens, and something good happens and something bad happens. Some of our lives are that way, aren't they? Every person in this auditorium, we understand disappointment. We have good things happen and then boom, something bad happens. And then good happens and then boom, something bad happens. Well, that's like the life of Joseph. I mean, think about it. His mother could not have babies. She was, had a fertility problem. And so they prayed to God. That was the bad news. So they prayed to God, oh, God, open up her womb. And finally, God opened up her womb and Joseph was born. Now, that's good news. But then he had another brother, his second brother that was born, Benjamin, And when she was in child labor, she gave birth to a healthy boy, but she died. That's bad news. But then the father loved Joseph because he was the youngest son, and he gave him a coat of many colors, and he showered him with favor and loved him and encouraged him. Now, that's good news. But then his brothers, they weren't too happy about it, so his 11 brothers stripped his coat of many colors, threw him in a pit, sold him to some Egyptians, ended up as a slave in Egypt. Now that's really, really, really bad news. But Joseph did not lose faith. He worked hard. He kept his faith, and so he rose up, to the, rose up through the ranks as a slave so that Potiphar put him in charge of all of his household, and he, there was no one else in the household of Potiphar that was greater than him. Now that's very good news. But then Potiphar's wife took a liking to him and decided to seduce him. And when he didn't give in to her seduction, she basically claimed that he tried to rape her. And so Potiphar's husband put him in jail, falsely accused. Now that's bad news. But then in prison, he still didn't lose hope. And he started working his way up the ranks again, and the warden had favor on him, and he became in charge of the entire prison. Now that is good news, as good news goes. So we pick up chapter 40. Joseph is in prison. He's 20-something years old. He's been through good and bad and good and bad and good and bad, and most of our lives are that way. 
most of your lives are not just one steady line of good, 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 good all the time, or bad, bad, bad all the time. It's usually like a roller coaster, the good and the bad. And today I want to talk to you about this, dreaming again through the valley of disappointment. And in chapter 40, verse 1, I want to pick up, and I want to talk to you this morning about keys to remember when we are in the waiting room of disappointment. The first key I want you to remember is this. Write it down. Remember that self-pity will keep you from seeing the other faces and ministering to them when you're in disappointment. Look at what happened. It says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king, I'm reading in verse 1 of chapter 40 of Genesis, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, And he put him in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now you say, well, pastor, I know what a baker is. What's a cupbearer? Well, it's not just a guy that would hold the cup for the king. But a cupbearer, if you remember, uh, the prophet Nehemiah was a cupbearer. And what a cupbearer was, is a cupbearer would taste the food before the king would eat it just in case it was poisoned, he would croak before the king got to eat it. I'd like to have that job. But he was also like the confidant to the king because he was a very close, intimate person with the king. Usually he would serve him. He was his personal assistant. He would taste his food. He would make sure it wasn't poisoned, but he'd also make sure it was well done and what the king liked. He would assist him and make sure everything was kosher like the king wanted it to be. Well, I don't know what happens because it doesn't tell us what happens, but somehow the cupbearer and the baker had a bad dinner because they both ended up in prison. I don't know if they burned the toast or what, but they both ended up in prison. The pharaoh's mad, and they ended up in the same prison where Joseph was. And it tells us in this passage, verse 3, and he put him in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Verse 4. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, were being held in prison and had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected So he asked the Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? So you get the picture. Joseph is in prison. Now he's probably about 25 years old or so, 20, maybe late 20s. He's in prison. Think about it. He's been unfairly treated. In fact, he's in prison most likely in his mind for the rest of his life. No possibility of parole. And what amazes me about Joseph is even in prison, the Bible says that the captain of the guard put him in charge of the cupbearer and the baker, and he attended them. Another version says he ministered to them, or he helped them out. And then later on, he walks in, and two guys are sad. Their faces are down. And he asks these two guys, hey, why are you so sad? Why is your face so down? Now, think about that. If anybody had a reason to be down, it was Joseph. If anybody had a reason to be mad at life in the world, it was Joseph. 
if anybody had something to complain about, it would be Joseph. Because after all, he was innocent and he was put in prison because some woman accused him of something that he didn't do. And God had given him a dream and now look where his dream landed him in the middle of prison. Here's what I want you to hear. Hear me very well. Some of us, when we're in the valley of disappointment, we get caught up in self-pity. And when you get caught up in self-pity, you don't see any other needs around you. All you think about is yourself. How many of you know what I'm talking about today? I see no hint of that in Joseph's life. In fact, some of us, we get in the... We get in the we, we, we have a disappointment in life and we start splashing around in the puddle of self-pity and it's all about us. It's all about our hurt, our pain, our life, our time, our needs. Someone says, well, I got a problem. Hey, hey, don't worry, I got my own problems. You talk to people and it's all about how can they meet your needs. You come to church and it's all about did I get something out of it or not. Not who you ministered to, but it's all about you. It's all about, well, people hurt you, offend you. It's all about your hurt. It's all about your pain. It's all about your life. Everything revolves around you. Because what self-pity does is self-pity takes your eyes off of God and off of the people around you and puts your eyes just on you. Let me tell you, when you are in the puddle of self-pity, you will not notice anybody else's pain. You will not see anybody else's needs. You won't minister to anybody else. You won't encourage anybody else because it's all about you. Now, Joseph, it's amazing to me that Joseph walks in this room. He's in the middle of prison and he looks at people's faces and he says to them, Hey, you look sad today. What's wrong? I mean, here Joseph is reaching out to people in the middle of prison. Can I tell you this? I think a lot of us wear what's happening in our lives on our face. How about it? Hey, do it sometime. Walk down the loop sometime and just look at people. Don't look at the floor. Don't look at your watch. Don't talk on the cell phone. Try looking at people's faces. Sad, sad, depressed, just getting over a hangover, (laughs) anxious about a job interview. Tough life of a lot of pain. I see it in their eyes, see it in their face. Or try this sometimes, because sometimes when people are around people, they masquerade a little bit. But you know where people really let their face show? In their car. Because they don't think anybody's looking at them. Try driving sometime, and actually, instead of seeing the car, look at people's faces. Now, now don't get in an accident, you know, and say, well, Pastor Mark told me. No, don't get in an accident. But try looking at people's faces sometimes because you will see stories on people's faces. They wear it on their face. But you know, some of us never notice people's faces because it's all about us. So how do we move away from self-pity? That's where we're headed next on Moody Presents. A quick reminder that you can hear all of our messages online at moodypresents.org. moodypresents.org. And today we're asking you for the simple favor of a quick email to let us know how the program is impacting your life. Would you let us know with an email? You can write to us at moodypresents at moody.edu. That's moodypresents at moody.edu. Back to Pastor Mark Job and this battle we all fight with self-pity. 
It's about our disappointment and about our pain and about our life. And we become immune to the people around us because self-pity and self-absorbed lives only focus on self. And I love this about Joseph because Joseph did not get caught up in just his needs and his issues. But notice what it says. He looked at their faces. He asked him, why are your faces so sad today? Verse 8. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them for us. Notice what Joseph said. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now let's think about this for a second. Do you remember Joseph's dreams he had had years ago when he was 17 years old? Do you remember what his dream was? The moon and the stars bowed down to him. Uh, do, do you remember the other she's bowed down to him? This was years ago, the dream that he'd had. Now, those dreams had landed him in prison. You think he would have given up on dreams. You think he would have said, hey, don't talk to me about dreams, man. I had my own dreams, and you know, they didn't work out. So, hey, don't believe in dreams. Forget about dreams. But you know what? I don't see that in Joseph's life. I see that Joseph did not become cynical. He cared about other people's dreams. What are your dreams? They said, well, we don't know. We don't understand this. He says, well, interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Many times when we're in the pit of self-pity, you don't want to hear anybody else's dreams. You don't want to hear someone talk about their upcoming marriage and how they expect it. You say, hey, you know, I, I, I'm you know, struggling with my marriage. I don't want to hear about your wedding. But this guy, even though his dreams had not turned out quite right yet, he cared about hearing about other people's dreams. He had not given up on dreams. He wanted to hear what their dreams were. So the cupbearer said, and by the way, when's the last time you've told someone, tell me your dreams? When's the last time you've cared enough to tell someone else, talk to me about your dreams? What do you dream about? What's your destiny, your call? What do you think about? What do you feel like God has called you to? When's the last time you've cared about someone else? These are very deep personal things when you say, tell me your dream. And so he asked him about the dreams and they said, the cupbearer said, hey, I had a dream. Let me tell you my dream. In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grape, squeezed it into Pharaoh's cup and, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And he will put, you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. Hey, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show kindness to me. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in the dungeon. He said to the cupbearer, in essence, hey, in three days... You're going to hear a little knock on the door. They're going to open the prison gate. They're going to say, hey, Pharaoh wants you. You're going to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to say, I forgive you. Come back. And you will be back to being his cupbearer in three days. Well, that's good news. So you can imagine the baker, right? The baker says, hey, hey, I got a dream too. Tell me. Here's my dream. And so he tells him his dream. And Joseph says, well, in three days, you're going to get out of prison too. Aha! 
and then the Pharaoh's going to hang you. The last time I tell you my dreams. In fact, this past week I ran into a baker, and he goes to one of our other locations, and I was, he said, I'm a baker. He kind of looked like a baker, and he was telling me about his bakery place. I said, hey, I've just been telling the story about a baker. I've just been reading about a baker. He said, oh, yeah? I said, yeah, in the Bible, Joseph. He said, oh, yeah, I remember that baker. <laughs> it's not the best story you want to tell a baker. And sure enough, just as he predicted and told them their dreams, the cupbearer came out, Pharaoh called him, he was out, and the baker, the Bible tells us that he, on uh, verse 20, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of all his officials. Verse 21, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. Verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker. Just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Now, verse 23 is one of those low moments. Listen to verse 23. And it's like this in our life. We get our hopes up, our expectations up. Imagine Joseph seeing the cupbearer get out of prison in three days thinking, Now, I got a direct connection to the Pharaoh. He's going to talk to the Pharaoh. I'm going to be set free just like I thought would happen in my life. And Look at what verse 23 says. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Look at the next chapter. When two full years had passed. I mean, have you ever felt like something good was going to happen? You get good news? And your hopes are really up and you're really excited and you're flying high. It's going to finally happen. I know it's going to happen. And you're all excited about it and you're just waiting. And every letter in the mail you get, you open it up and this could be the letter. And it's just another marketing letter. And it's the disappointment. Have you ever had your heart go so high up and then it just sinks? And sinks and sinks. Imagine Joseph being in prison thinking, finally I'm going to get out. God has orchestrated this. Thank God that he brought the cupbearer. The cupbearer is before Pharaoh right now. I know he's going to talk to him about him. And the Pharaoh is going to say, hey, let this, this young man out. So he waits a day. Every time the door clinks, he looks and says, they're coming for me. And he waits three days. They're coming for me. It's just the slop of food again. A week goes by and says, well, you know, bureaucracy. It's the paperwork. And, you know, it takes time. He's greeting his family. Two weeks go by. Three weeks go by. Four weeks go by. Two months go by. Six months go by. He's in prison. A year goes by. And it sinks more and more. A year and a half goes by. You see what I call that? I call it the waiting room. You see, the waiting room is the place where we keep waiting for the door to open. You look at the door, I I, I think I hear something, and you, no, it's still locked. That new position, that job, hey, no, I, I guess it's not happening. When you're single, hey, I, I, I think it's him. 
I think it's him. I think it's him. I'm going to get married. No, he left me. Couples trying to have a baby, can't have a baby. You know, they check the little, the little pregnancy test. And this time, yeah, maybe this time. This time. No, no, not this time. Fertility test, the long, the pain, the drawn out. Maybe now, maybe now, let's try it. And some of us spend our life looking at the door. Just hoping, well, it's going to open one day. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered a lot of people, they don't live their life while they're waiting. You see, I run into a lot of people that are always thinking, when the door opens, then I'll start living. Hey, when the door opens, then I'll minister. When the door opens, I'll be excited about God. When the door opens, God is going to use me. And so you're single right now, and you think, well, you're not living right now because you think I'm not complete. If I had a boyfriend, then I would be happy. And finally, you get the boyfriend. And you say, well, you know what? This is good, but if he asked me to marry him, then I would, oh, then I would really start living. So he pops the question, you say, yes. Then you're planning for the wedding. You say, when I get married and when we're living together and and we're married and the wedding, then I'll really, then then I can start living. And so then you get married. And then once you're married, you know, it's, it's, hey, when I have my baby, the first baby, you know, then we'll really be a family. Then I'll really, really be happy. And then you have the first baby and you realize, whoa, a lot of work. Then after three, you're saying, I'll really start living when they leave the house, when they're out, when, when, when they go to college, when I can get a job, you know, then I'll really, really start living. And I run it, and then, and then unfortunately, the kids are out, and then you start saying, well, you know what, if I could just get a divorce, then I would really, really start living. And I run into people that are always waiting to live, but never living. Always waiting for something to happen to make them happy, but then finally they'll do it. And they're always waiting. They sit by the door waiting for it to open, but they never enjoy the moment. They don't minister in the moment. They don't share in the moment. They don't see faces in the moment. They don't smell the flowers now. They don't enjoy this stage of life because they're always living in a future thinking that in the future I'll be happy, but now they're not happy. You see, they're in the waiting room. All of us here know about the waiting room. Maybe some of you right now, you're in the middle of a huge waiting room. Remember, Joseph was in the prime of his life. He's a 20-something-year-old rotting away in prison. The second thing I want you to understand about the valley of disappointment is this. Remember that God is always at work behind the scenes. And can quickly turn things around. And some of us feel like God has forgotten us. We've called, we've called, and everything's the same. I want to tell you something. God is always, always, always at work behind the scenes. You may not see it, but He's there. You may not see His hand, but He's orchestrating and moving things behind the scenes because God has not forgotten the dream He deposited in your heart. God has not forgotten you or your family or your circumstances or the dreams that He supernaturally has spoken into your heart. He has not forgotten them. You see, I believe that sometimes we feel like 
Ming Kung Chen. In the paper, there was a story about a guy. He's a Chinese uh, fast food delivery guy that got stuck in an elevator. Ming Kung was his name. Now, he didn't speak very, very good English. And he was in the Bronx. And he got in an elevator. He delivered his food, got on the elevator to go down, and the elevator got stuck. So, he did what every good, solid, common sense, rational person would do. He yelled and screamed and banged on the doors. Of course, he did it in Chinese, so, you know, people around couldn't hear. And he banged and he banged and he banged. 80 hours, three days he was in the elevator. I want to say, hey, where's the elevator guy in all this? You know, the service. And no one in this entire building seemed to hear him. What a great picture of how it feels to be in the valley of disappointment. Can you relate? By the way, there's more to this story that you're enjoying, so be sure to join us next week. But for today, right now, we're asking if you'd like to become a monthly partner of Moody Presents. You say, what's that? Well, a monthly partner is a friend like you who appreciates the teaching ministry of Dr. Job and decides to support us on a monthly basis. For your gift of $30 a month or more, you'll enjoy a 50% discount off the entire line of Moody Publishers products. That's half off all of our devotionals, Bible studies, and kids' books, biographies, and more. Why not become a partner today? Look for the Donate Now link at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Next week, we'll encounter lots of encouragement for anyone walking through the Valley of Disappointment. Join us then for Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.